Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 117 of the App Advice Weekly Podcast. This is your host, Trevor Sheridan of AppAdvice.com, and joining me as usual is my co-host, Brett Nolan of AppAddict.net. Join us this week as we go hands-on with the iPhone 11 Pro Max, iOS 13, and Apple Arcade, including an introduction to our new weekly segment, Apple Arcade Spotlight. And this week's spotlight, we're going to swing through clues in traffic in the dark. How are you doing today, Brett? I'm doing good. Wow, it sounds like a jam-packed episode. <laughs> <laughs> There's a whole bunch going on. I mean, this is one of the biggest weeks of the Apple's calendar year, so it gives us plenty to talk about. Yeah, I mean, they, lots of new happenings and our experiences with those. So, yeah, let's just dive right into this. So I'll start with the iPhone 11 Pro Max. Once you get past the jungle of words in this long name, you <laughs> then have a new phone that's very similar to the iPhone XS. To be honest, I've been using it since last Friday, and I often forget that I have a new phone. That's how big of a difference it is. <laughs> yeah, I guess if you're not looking on the back and seeing that weird new camera array, it's going to look like pretty much the same phone from the front, right? Yeah, when you're using it, you know, it has the new chipset or whatever. I changed the wallpaper so it feels a little different when I go into the device <laughs> to remind myself. <laughs> But yeah, but I guess I, dark mode also helps, but you could have that on the old phone. So when you're in the new phone in particular, unless you're in the camera itself, it's tough to identify the differences. So I got the new midnight green version to make sure that it's a new color so it feels different so I can show it off. Look, I have the newest phone. And then, of course, the three camera array, as you mentioned. But then once you do go into that camera app, it's still the same two camera modes are available. You have the normal and then you can zoom in. The difference is the new ultra-wide lens, which is also available on the iPhone 11. But it's pretty effortless to switch between the different modes. And ultra-wide, it's really interesting to take pictures. It essentially allows new picture-taking possibilities. Like, I was just at the store, and you look down an aisle, and I took a regular picture of it, and then I did the ultra-wide. And it's amazing how you can get the entire aisle in this new ultra-wide. It's just weird. Because you wouldn't assume that would be where you would use it. You know, you think, oh, I'm at a national park or some big landscape type of area. But even close quarters, like you could take a picture of your dog, even though you're really close to him and get his whole body in the frame with this ultra wide lens. Yeah, it seems like more like something I would use if I were making a movie or something using the iPhone camera where I'd want that wide shot and... You wouldn't have to back up. You could do a, a nice video shot of it for like an establishing shot and then go to the normal camera for like the zoomed in stuff. But otherwise, unless you're really in like close quarters, I don't see myself using it other than maybe that it would avoid me having to do the panoramics like we talked about last week. Yeah, I, I definitely can see that the one mode that's really cool in the camera, though, is night mode. And when Apple showed it off, I'm like, OK, whatever. Sure, that was some professional photographers or whatever. But it turns out it's pretty damn amazing. Like, I have a blind in my room that's kind of those nighttime, you know, dark room ideas. And so it's almost pitch black in my room. And I took a picture of a little collectible. And I turned on night mode for three seconds. And the first picture, you can barely make out the silhouette of the item. The second picture, it almost looked like the lights are on in the room. Yeah, I saw the, the photo. It was that little owl that you had, yeah. right? I'm like, yeah. holy cow, like, it is so clear, crystal clear. Yeah, there is a little bit of noise in the photo, so it's not, like, the ideal way you would take a photo, but to have either have a dark photo you can't make anything out or have this photo where everything looks pretty darn clear and like almost like it's lit up is amazing. Like, it, it, it was shocking how well that worked in a real usage rather than Apple's ideal conditions, which I'm sure they took their stock, their sample photos with. And one thing you do have to keep in mind is you need to keep your hand relatively still. So if you're one of those people that has a little uh, movement when you do use the shutter button or anything, definitely keep that in mind. I'm really intrigued to see how it works at like parties what are low lights and that kind of setting rather than specifically you know, where stuff is moving also. I think it's going to be too blurry to be used. Everyone would have to be perfectly still. It's kind of like that panorama idea. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't even think of that. Because it is using the multiple shots. You would really want your your subject to be still. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I didn't even think of that. Like as if you a had a group together, problem. they all had, you know, their arms. Everybody stay perfectly still for three seconds. 
You see, you got to <laughs> Halloween's coming up. You can try taking pictures of of your setup in Halloween, and it'll look like it's all set up during the day. During the day, <laughs> it loses the whole impact of it. No, but you can also adjust that camera. So in night mode, you can have it turn on one, two, or three seconds for how long the shutter is going to be open. So if you just want one or two seconds, it still is going to increase the brightness from pitch black. Because I've been taking pictures during Halloween times and years past, and it's almost entirely black. You can barely make out anything. So to even adjust that a little bit is definitely an improvement, though I would love if they could somehow figure it out for videos, because videos are still... Like, I went to Halloween Horror Nights, and you're going through these mazes, and you can't tell anything. Like, it's pitch black (laughs) no matter where you're looking, unless there's this big, huge, you know, strobe light flashing. So there's the night mode is only on photos. It doesn't work. Right. It's it doesn't not work for, video. for the video. Oh, okay. Oh, I guess that makes sense because you need the the comparison shots. But yeah, no, that that's uh, I, I I was impressed. Like it was something I thought I would never really use, but after seeing your photo, I, I'm thinking that would be kind of nice to have. Yep. And then also, it's worth noting the feel of the device is different. So previous model. The iPhone 10 as well as the 10s, they're glass on the front and the black, the back. My fingers have a natural kind of tactile nature to them, so I can almost hold the phone vertically and it doesn't slide down my fingers when it's glass because there's enough friction of the stickiness. And now this new device is stainless steel, and it is slippery. I might actually have to break down and get a case for this because I don't. I'm usually caseless. I'm that one kind of weird person. I've had the phones. Since the first iPhone came out, I've never dropped it, knock on wood. But I might have to get one just because this thing is slippery in your hand. Yeah, I see. I always have the case for that exact reason because I find them all slippery. I'm not like Spider-Man with the glass case and Magneto with the metal case. All my friends make fun of me for having like these Spider-Man hands, but yeah. (laughs) So I, I always, that's the main reason I get the case is to add the grippiness because otherwise I know it's just a matter of time. I'm getting out of my car and that thing's going to go flying and... So, yeah, so that's good to know. I, I, I guess I didn't even put two and two together that it was a, a metal case on this new one. Uh, I don't know why that just didn't even click with me, even though they presented it. But uh, that is good to know. And then it's tough to tell that there's a new screen. So Apple told us this is like some super retina display or something. I had both devices right next to each other. I can't really tell. I took it outside in direct sunlight because it supposedly has a higher brightness so it goes from 800 to 1200 nits so you can see it if the sun's right on your screen and i still had trouble seeing it i mean you don't want to look at your phone in direct sunlight regardless so i've (laughs) purposely avoided that i've come to use it that way but i really can't tell the difference of this super retina display they're touting yeah, I mean, I think it's gotten to the point where I don't think most humans would be able Once to tell they told a difference. Us that our eyes can't discern it. I'm tending to agree with them. Yeah, so it is what it is. They can do all their marketing speak as much as they want, but whether or not you're actually going to notice it, probably not. Yep. So honestly, I got it just because it's a Verizon business, you know, your Apple upgrade program, all those types of ways to have that yearly upgrade, that makes sense. Otherwise, I think it's best to wait a next year unless you're still rocking iPhone 6 or 7 or 8 or something. But yeah, if you have the 10 have or the, the 10s. Yeah. Well, especially if you have the 6 because or the 6 plus cuz they can't even run iOS 13. So if you have anything before the 6s, you probably want to upgrade so you can take advantage of iOS 13. And then I haven't used the iPhone 11, but like we talked about in our last podcast, there's still the value proposition that it's $300 cheaper than the 11 Pro and $400 cheaper than the Pro Max. So that's probably your best value option just because you still get the ultra wide angle lens and it this super awesome screen it's really tough to tell the difference from the 10s. Like I know the 11's based on the XR and it's actually using the LED rather than OLED display, but I can't imagine that's worth the $300 difference. Yeah, I mean the biggest trade-off like we mentioned last week is you lose the telephoto lens. So you mm-hmm. have no optical zoom whatsoever. You have optical zoom out. Sorry, you do have your yes. two times zoom out. You do not have to zoom in. So definitely keep that in mind. But 
if you have discretionary spending, you have some kind of deals, you have the upgrade program, any kind of thing like that. This is the best phone Apple's ever made. (laughs) 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 Oh, good stuff. Good stuff. And so guess what? If you do have one of those older phones, you can still feel kind of new thanks to iOS 13. And the biggest change in iOS 13 is dark mode. And I've put dark mode on my iPhone and my iPad just because I can feel like I have a new operating system. That's about the only reason. I'm not one of those people, oh, I need dark mode or whatever. Because then once you do put in dark mode, some apps have been updated. It's really cool. Even the standard Twitter app's been updated. So it's this unified experience. But then when you go to an app like Instagram where it's still all light mode, it's this really sharp juxtaposition when everything is dark scale. Yeah, so I turned on dark mode only on my phone, and I use it because, like, if I'm going to bed and I'm reading something at night right before I go to bed, I don't want it super dark. So I have it turned on so it goes on at sunset and comes and turns itself off at sunrise. But it it's good for reading things at night. Otherwise, I don't know that I really want it all the time. I do. I did when dark mode came to the Mac. I turned it on and I. Well, every once in a while, I keep saying to myself, I'm just going to turn this thing off. It's it's kind of stupid, uh, but I don't know. I've kind of kept it there. The one thing I did notice right off the bat when I installed iOS 13 was on my iPhone 10, the uh, Face ID started working so much faster. It's unbelievable. Like, I thought it, it, it was incredible. It's a noticeable difference in how quickly it recognizes my face and unlocks the phone now compared to how long it took before. Like, it used to take a few seconds to register. Now it feels almost instantaneous uh, as to be able to unlock the phone or sign in or anything having to do with Face ID. I, I didn't know that they would improve it on the 10. Like, I have the new Pro Max, and... It's essentially like there's no passcode or face ID at all. It's almost slide to unlock. Yeah, one of the one of the bullet points actually said it improved face ID by as much as 30 percent. And I'm telling you, it definitely feels like it's maybe it's in my head because I had seen that bullet point ahead of time. But it definitely feels way, way faster to me on the 10 now. That's good to know. So iOS 13, we've kind of mentioned it a few different times, but it's not the biggest overhaul or biggest change, biggest feature set, whatever you want to describe it. Like there's some really neat things that Apple's done, especially for accessibility. But in terms of day-to-day use, now that I have iOS 13, what can I do that I didn't have iOS 12 with? Well, to put kind of the change list into perspective, you can now set up a contact profile in iMessage and you can add AirPods to your Memoji. Those are some of the features. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Uh, yeah, so I have added the AirPods to my Memoji. <laughs> I do like the Memoji stickers. I do kind of like that I can use those instead of the more generic, uh, just smiley face and stuff. Now it's my face that I put on there or my fake face. Uh, yeah. My estimation. I, I of still my face. wish they would have done it. I thought they were going to make a memoji where it used Face ID and tried to sculpt your face and create digital versions of it. But sadly, yeah, not. you're still manually picking all the features. Right. Yeah. You're still, and you can edit all the ones you created previously, and they just immediately become stickers now. You have them in your little toolbox to use them as a sticker set uh, as well. But yeah, I there's not a lot to iOS 13 that I really use. So the big question I know you had was, did it fix my turnpike? And it did not fix the turnpike. It, it sounds a little bit more normal, but not quite there. It's I and I don't even know if I'm just kind of telling myself it sounds a little bit better, but it really didn't fix that with the Siri That's voice sad. improvements. I did want to ask about that. That's <laughs> definite letdown. So, but otherwise, like, there are some other aspects of uh, maps, which I I do kind of switch off between Google Maps and Apple Maps. And one of the features, we just got a 13.1 update right before we uh, started this recording. And one of the features they've added now is to be able to send ETA to someone on your contact list. And I don't know if it's going to constantly be updating them as you're driving, because obviously things can change during your commute. But uh, one of the things that I really wish they had added was in shortcuts, I wish they would allow you to access the Find My app, which used to be Find My Friends, 
or find my iPhone. It's all combined into one app now. They still haven't added like a hook into that app from within the Siri shortcut. So you can't just say like, share my location for the next hour with so-and-so. I wish they would do it. Maybe it's a security thing because someone could just walk up to your phone and say that and then it would trigger it. But I, this, I'm hoping, is kind of like a, a middle ground. Granted, you're stuck with Apple Maps if you do it, but I'm curious to see how this pans out with this new update. And then with mentioning Apple Maps, they've added Street View. So now you have that Google Street View competitor right in Apple Maps. And then they upgraded Notes and Reminders. So they focused on those three stock apps to improve just kind of taking features from third-party, more powerful apps and incorporating them into the stock apps. Yeah, the Street View is very limited right now. You're limited to just very few cities. Uh, The Reminders, I never really used it, but it it looks like a huge overhaul to reminders uh from what it was i i never really use it all that much so i can't uh really speak to specifics but it definitely looks a lot different at least uh visually and then the swipe keyboard is now on by default for fans of that style yeah i've never been a fan of that style (laughs) no i really haven't either no (laughs) (laughs) and uh what else can you do you can Uh, also now Find your devices even when they're offline. And this is some pretty uh, heavy-duty tech. Like, there's even more advanced ideas with the new U1 chip in the iPhone 11 or Pro, where now you have hyper-local connectivity to other phones. But this is for any phone. It has this last location ping, even if you're offline. Yeah, so it does something with, like, you can opt into this thing where it sends, like, its last location to a mesh of Bluetooth things in the area and somehow so it's like a last death call that it sends out so you can hopefully find it uh even after it goes offline yeah when apple was talking about this all i can think is the dark night where they infiltrate everybody's cameras to create an entire view of the city and so now they're using this whole bluetooth mesh idea where your phone connects off into it and can register locations like it's all anonymous it's not a privacy and corporation, but we're getting closer and closer to that point. Yeah, we've seen this kind of with those tile-like devices mm-hmm. in the past. You're just where, incorporating right into your phone. Right. Now it's just right into your phone. Uh, so, And this is obviously one of the most important devices you could lose. I, whatever you're slapping a tile on is probably not as important as your phone is from a day-to-day uh, standpoint, but uh, it's nice that it's baked right in. You do. I think it was an option you had to enable during setup, but I turned it on. So hopefully if for some reason I happen to lose my phone, I'll be able to find it. And then, I mean, if you're talking about big feature releases, you can now set some reading goals right in the books app. (laughs) Come on. Game changer right there. Yeah, see, I don't really, uh, I listen to my books. I don't read them. So, uh, the they things do have they've added in iOS 13. They they do have some audiobook support that they add to the watch. Uh, but again, that's buying stuff through Apple, not Audible, which is what I use. And also, it's worth noting iOS 13 came for the iPhone and iPod Touch last week, but now today, Tuesday, September 24th, it also is coming to iPad OS and TV OS. So it was originally going to be September 30th, but Apple got it ready a week early, so you can update your iPads and Apple TV as well to iOS 13. Yeah, yeah. So now if you have a Apple TV, a fifth gen, or the 4K, you can get Apple Arcade is on there. The games are on there. So uh, update to iOS 13 if you want to be playing these these games on your uh, on your TV. And also wanted to mention Watch OS 6. So you don't have to get the Series 5 to get some updates. Like the Series 5 lets you have all day your phone or your watch screen is on, cool, whatever. But if you have the Series 4, the Series 3, it has all new kind of subtle changes. Like I was just noticing day-to-day uses, UI changes. When a phone call comes in, they make the answer button slightly bigger. When you're using the Now Playing app to control any music on your device, it's cleaner interface. There's bigger buttons to pause and skip to next tracks and then they have the new decibel meter which you can enable to see the decibels going on close to you if it gets to a uh, too high of a standard alerts you all that kind of good stuff 
Oh, so one thing we complete it made me think of it when you were talking about the watch that we completely forgot to mention about the phone because it does on the watch as well is the volume. So they got rid of the whole giant thing that covered your entire screen when you put up and down the volume on the phone. And now it's this tiny little out of the way bar that looks so much cleaner and nicer. And on the watch, they've now changed it to a similar uh, little volume thing, which I kind of missed the little dial that went around the center that showed the volume as you increased it on the watch. So it, it would kind of curve around the center uh, to show the volume going up and down. It would get green and red, but uh, they've now gone to this cleaner little thin line that's over to the side uh, that uh, kind of goes with the same style as the phone and the iPad as well. Yeah, definitely worth mentioning because it's subtle, but it's definitely needed. When you had that old volume thing where it blocks a part of the screen, you're like in the middle of a game or whatever the case may be, you're yeah. watching a, a video and right in the middle, right over like the main action of the screen, you have this volume thing. Yes, it was huge and annoying. And two other things that they added, which I have not tried the Shazam on the watch yet. I think you have to trigger it via Siri. I don't know that there's a button to trigger it. And then there's also a calculator built in now on the watch, which not only is a calculator, but it also allows you to do tip calculation as well. So it looks just like the calculator that you would pull up on your phone. And then there's a little button there when you type in an amount to then calculate your tip and you can scroll the, the dial to, in order to kind of go up and down to see, depending on what percentage of a tip you're going to give, how much you should give. And then it gives you the total as well. Uh, once you've added on that tip. So you don't even need to do the math in your head. You can either use the calculator to calculate it out, or it's all done for you just right there on the screen. Definitely worth noting. And, you know, I wish they would have done more with the watch. It feels not that big of a difference, but I guess it fits in with iOS 13 perfectly. Yeah, none of the faces, in the new watch faces, really were intriguing at all. Interest no. me at all. Yeah, no. And they, they seem to stop adding complications, too. It's like the same set of complications, because those would be the ones that really unlock more watch ideas, where you just quickly glance at your phone and you get valuable information, but they're just not doing anything with those. Yeah, yeah, it definitely seems to have kind of, like, frozen. There's nothing new there, because that's really, like you said, how they can add more features to the watch fairly easily, just by allowing these apps to have additional complications that give you more information or ways that hooks into these these useful apps. I guess there is the app store built right into the watch now. I have not even checked that out because I tried it and I was like, I'd rather be browsing this on my phone. <laughs> so <laughs> I mean it's a you, lot of information to go through. Can you get to it from the watch app on the phone or is it only No, they on removed the watch? it. If you go there it says please check the app store on the phone. Oh what a pain. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why they did that. Yeah. Because really, if I'm downloading an app, I'm probably going to read about it. I'm not going to be like, which meditation app do I pick? Well, I see one line about this one, so I'll pick this one. I mean, yeah. come on. <laughs> yeah. But probably the biggest feature for me, probably for you too, with iOS 13 is Apple Arcade. And so now we have the brand new Apple Arcade Spotlight on the App Advice and App Addict Weekly Podcast, where we get to, you know, there's 70 games that launch. They're going to keep adding games. We get to focus on four games that are at Apple Arcade that you should start playing right away? Because it's tough to choose. Which of these 70 games do I start with? Yeah, I mean, I I was slow playing it. And then you go for like a day-long, <laughs> let's stream everything. And you must have gone through how many games? 30 of them that, yeah, in that one day? Yeah, yeah, so I'm like, I'm going to slow play this. I'm going to like really get into the games finally i don't need to rush because i can take my time and then all of a sudden you're like flying through them but uh <laughs> we did find a common four that we both had played and then i did play some additional ones beyond these uh but yes we will focus on on four of them t tonight i believe and the problem really is that there's so much stuff that looks good i mean now that on ipad os they've changed it so you can have more icons on screen i mean i have a page of 30 games from the apple arcade on one entire page and then it extended over to a second page that's how many i've downloaded so to pick these four to focus on was probably the toughest task of the week yeah i have a page and a half and it's only because i ran out of space because all my digital board games take up a ton of ton of room too 
So I, I, I need it. When I get a new iPad, I got to level up and I uh, go for 512 instead of the 256 that I have now. Oh, actually, I only have 128 on the iPad. I have 256 on the phone. So maybe 256 would be okay, but we'll see. And so we'll start this week with What the Golf. And at first sound of it, you may think, oh, it's a golf game. I don't like golf games. This is not a golf game. This is a crazy, insane action puzzle game that just uses a familiar mechanic where you pull back and release to fire your shot and you try to get to the flag. You don't have to worry about getting in the hole. There's no real precision to worry about. It's more about the craziest scenarios they've created of each one of these holes. Like you start out, it's familiar. You knock the ball towards the hole. Then the very second level of the game, you do the same mechanic and your golfer actually flies forward. (laughs) Then the next level, you have your actual club. There's 50 different clubs all going forward. And then you're controlling a house and cars and you're up in space and super bouncy balls and sticky balls and all kinds of crazy things happen. I mean, the creativity of the level design of this game is absolutely amazing to keep you wanting to go to every new level to explore and experiment and see what they've come up with next. Yeah, so this one I saw, I didn't know anything about this. I saw it at PAX East, and I absolutely fell in love. My and my brother and sister-in-law were there, too, and I told them, you guys got to go see this game. Like, they don't really play mobile games. They don't really like mobile games. Uh, but it was on a PC that they were demoing it. And I'm like, you guys have got to go play this. It is so much fun. And so they were instantly hooked. And you're right, it's it does that familiar puzzle, uh, like familiar golfing pull back and release, but there's like no restriction on a number of shots you can take, at least on the base holes. And then you just, it's what kind of craziness is going to happen? How are they going to switch it up? There's puns galore. If you love puns, so many puns, there's parodies of video game parodies of all kinds of stuff that you know, of, like that you're familiar with. I, I'm trying not to spoil things because it's just, one shock after the next as you're playing through this. So originally when I played it at PAX East, it was just like hole after hole after hole in the demo. And one of the weird things is they've actually included this in the app as well. It's called a show to a friend mode that's right on the main screen. And that's pretty much the demo I played at PAX East. And it's a great way if you have someone who isn't on uh, iOS 13 yet, uh, or just wants to try out the game and not mess up your progress in the main game, you can hand it off. So I did that to my daughter, to my almost 10 year old daughter. And she, I wish I had filmed it because she was laughing hysterically. And when she got to the second hole and then she swung back and she said, wait a minute, what happened? He, he flew. The ball didn't fly. The, the golfer flew. And then the next hole, it's like, what? The house moved? This is weird, but funny. I love it. And then she was like, just playing through, playing through. She couldn't put it down. She absolutely loved it. It's just one of these games that is just so fun and crazy and off the wall that you just can't help but fall in love with. Exactly. It reminds me of Bacon the Game, where that had the same idea of crazy contraptions for every level. But this is not so simplistic. Like, that was the same exact mechanic every single time. It was the same structure. This in- expands the scope and changes the environments. And like I said, you're going to go out into space, you're going to be in traffic, you're going to go to all kinds of crazy locations and scenarios, all based on that familiar mechanic. And it just is so great that they've made it also where you don't just go from level to level, but you have kind of a, a world design where, you know, like a Super Mario, where you're going to run in between the paintings or whatever. In this case, you're in this lab. And you have to hit the ball to get to the next set of levels and then hit into this particular level over here. So you're always using that golf stroke mechanic, even when you're in the world or the level select screen. Yeah, I mean, and it's like there's hidden little Easter eggs to find as well while you're going through there. I was shocked when I started playing the game and I saw this whole world that they had built around it. I loved it. I'm like, this is awesome. Like, it has become such a humongous game rather than what could have been just like a simple level after level and like, oh, you guys got to play this. This is fun to like an insanely large game with loads of content and it's it's just what you said where it's not the same thing over and over and over again because different levels are going to require you to do completely different things so some you'll be able to take your time kind of just work your way to the hole it doesn't matter how many strokes 
other times there's going to be people fighting back trying to knock the or other things trying to knock your ball off the side of the ledge so now you have to keep on flicking 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 you got to be so fast and get it to to the destination before it goes off the edge or maybe you are off the edge and now you're flicking to keep yourself to hopefully float back onto the course before you fall down and then it registers that you fell off and you got to start over so it's just a mix of slow and fast and crazy new things and like you never know what's going to happen and that's what keeps it so interesting and especially where in that world each of the holes you're going to have multiple ways to play each one you can play each of the holes three times and the rules change for each time yeah that's what probably keeps you even more incentivized like i was playing the game for a good hour and it's like You've completed 3% of the game. I'm like, dang, (laughs) what's going on with that? And it's because every single level has one challenge and then a third challenge to play. So each challenge is different, but it's based on kind of the same area, but it gives you a different perspective and focus. Like sometimes you need to reach the hole in one stroke, or other times you need to, now it increases the number of balls that you have to hit towards the area and like you said, that soccer defenders ones where they're hitting the ball back at you. And just also the switch from you can take a shot and then the ball has to land and then you take the next shot to then you can stroke, you can hit the ball as many times as you want in this flurried fast pace. It's a completely different level from one to the next. Yeah, there's even a level where all of a sudden everything was black. I'm like, what's going on? And I have a case on my iPad. Then I realized the rear camera was blocked and I had to pick it up. And it was like an AR mode one where you're turning the iPad around trying to find where the hole is and you have to fling yourself to the hole and in like like you're standing there. And so I actually got up and moved, but I didn't care because it was so awesome in this game that I even though I hate that, I still got (laughs) up. and I loved it. And so that's what the golf. And reminder, Apple Arcade is completely free to try for a month. You download iOS 13 and you sign up for Apple Arcade and you can play any and all of the games that we're going to mention. And guess what? It's only $5 a month. So this game, it probably could have been $4.99 Universal by itself, but it's not. It's just part of Apple Arcade. Yep. Well worth it. And then there's Card of Darkness, which comes from Zach Gage as well as uh, Choice Provisions and... Zach's best known probably for Spell Tower, and he's made such games as like Pocket Run Pool and Really Bad Chest, even Type Shift and Flip Flop Solitaire, all kinds of various challenging, pretty much he's taken ideas of familiar concepts and turned it into more of a puzzle game. Like for instance, you wouldn't think of Pool as a puzzle game. You wouldn't think of Chess as a puzzle game, but he made it into these really compelling ideas of iOS gaming. And now with Card of Darkness, it's kind of a similar idea. At first glance, it's going to be familiar. It's a card battle game set as a dungeon crawler. You, If you've played Card Crawl or Meteor Fall or even Card Thief or any of these type of uh, challenging Solitarica, all these kind of single player card battle games, this one's going to be familiar, but it seems to kind of combine the elements together to make it. So with Card Crawl, you had the idea where you need to balance the cards you have against enemies. So you might need to take in a weapon and then you can attack an enemy card, or you need shield po- or a shield or a potion to replenish health. You have all that constant balance, but it's a set deck of cards. There are 53 cards to get through. And then with Solitarica, it's golf solitaire, but in a level-based idea where you have to beat this guy playing golf solitaire, and then you move on to the next enemy. And then in Meteor Fall... It's more of the whole adventure campaign storyline. And then that battle is more of a swipe left or right idea. But the idea is the adventure where you're going to face a series of enemies and travel across the world. So Card of Darkness takes the whole world adventure map. It takes the card crawl battle mechanic of picking up weapons and attacking certain enemies in a specific order. And then it takes the whole dungeon crawler or proceeding level by level of Solitaire, smashes it into one. For a brand new compelling challenge because you have to clear levels of the dungeon. So you'll start out, there's three dungeons to get through. And when you complete the first level, whatever health and weapons you have when you complete that, that's what you start with on the second level. So if you barely get through a level, you're probably not going to make it through level two, nevertheless level three. And the enemies keep building up. 
And the main challenge is that you don't have to play the entire grid of cards available. You just have to create a path to the exit point. So you want to be very strategic of what card stacks you start playing. Like, oh, here's a sword on this stack, but there's five cards below it. And who knows how many enemies might appear in that stack. Or here's some coins. You want to go grab that, but then it opens up enemy stacks. And the enemies are going to keep increasing challenge. There's like a bird that swaps spaces. And now it potentially, if you attack it in a new space, that opens up a new stack of cards you might have to face. Because you can't leave a given dungeon until every single stack that you've ever started on is complete. So as long as you don't start a stack of cards, you don't have to deal with it. But if you played even one card, you have to complete the whole stack before you move on in the given section. And then, of course, there's whole weapon idea where if you have an even-numbered weapon, like say it's a six, and an enemy is a six, you have no problem. If the enemy is an odd number or vice versa, you have an odd weapon and an even enemy, you lose your weapon. It works that one time, but then you don't get to use it again. But if you match up odd with odd or even with even, you get to keep using that weapon. So all kinds of different strategic choices as you're in this whole dungeon crawler idea in a familiar card-based battle system. Yeah, it's all these little elements that he came up with that work so well and give this such an appealing and like challenging little uh, puzzle to solve as you go through this. Like just... First, just take the element of the as soon as you start a deck of cards, you have to finish those decks. And like, and things can shift around while you're playing. There are spells that come out where you can stop a, a deck from having to finish it out. But just that risk reward that's there. You see that health potion on the top of a of a stack, and you're like, I could heal myself. But then all of a sudden, there's like some monster of an enemy underneath it that now you're like, oh crap, I got five health, but I'm gonna lose ten fighting this guy. And so you always have that risk reward, and then with the the swords of always having to battle the match the even and the odd otherwise you lose the sword so now you got to figure out like do i take this enemy out or do i just go ahead and take some uh kill this other guy that i can i'm not going to kill him fully but i'm gonna lose the sword but at least i won't take all that much damage but then then you gotta hope that maybe another sword or you hope that you can somehow get out of this after you've already done it and then as you continue on there's all kinds of new elements that come into play there's potions like health potions that when you pick them up they double the the end the power of the enemies around them or or all the cards around so you might be able to get a super powerful sword out of that but then if there's an enemy that like one of those stupid little birds flies in next to it now all of a sudden it goes to 18 from nine and now you're like real trouble because you only have 20 health. And so it's just constantly trying to deal with the cards that you're given and then the situation you're put in. And sometimes there's just no way you're going to win. Other times you've hopefully, as you're gone, picked up chess, got coins. And then as you die, it's a roguelike. So you can go and buy these like power-ups or you can level up your character so you'll get better things that will come out and then as you beat levels you get these special darkness cards that come out and then you can equip one of those to give your guy like a special ability as you go in maybe it like increases all of the swords or it increases the chances you'll get a scroll and then eventually you can if you get enough coins you can unlock a second slot so now you can carry two of these cards in with you to give you extra powers and you have to figure out based on the enemies that appear in these certain dungeons or how many levels you're gonna have to make it through you figure out which of these special abilities you need to pair up as you go in. So maybe you get one that shows you all the stacks of cards right away so you can see and plan your moves out better. But And then as you progress, you even have boss battles at the end of sections to then unlock new sections that are even harder with stronger enemies and bigger, more more enemies and bigger things to battle and... It just becomes crazy and crazy and difficult, but then you keep trying and going back and trying, and eventually you progress, and it is so good. Like, I love this game. This is right up my alley. I I saw this, and I saw Zach Gage was attached, and I'm like, oh yeah, this is going to be good. The best thing about any card battle game is that they're perfect for waiting in line. So you'll have those deluxe adventure games part of Apple Arcade that you want to put on your iPad, and you're going to sit down and set aside some time for it. But then there's like this card battle game. You put it on your phone. 
you're sitting waiting in line at the bank or you're sitting on the train or whatever, it's great to play in those few spare minutes you have in the course of your day where you just want a little bit of puzzle, a little bit of strategy. And then that's when you start peeling back all the layers of this game where you can play one level. You know, there's like three different dungeons you have to go down and that fits as a small portion during your day. But you'll start to pick up different layers and elements. Like I said, every single choice in this game is strategic. Just deciding, you start out, there's only, you can only see four of the stacks of 16 potential grid spaces and you see where the exit point is. And you tap, say they're all coins to start with. There's, well, there's no harm, right? Well, you pick one coin and then it opens up this monster who's eight. And you only have a sword that's worth two that you picked from the dungeon before. So you lost six health right before you even got started. And now you have to clear that whole stack and then say, well, the next area that it opens up of the next uh, level up, well, those stacks suck. There's like four, eight guys, enemies you have to deal with. It's like, well, let me go start back on a different stack and try to create a different path. And then that opens up a different stack enemy. So you're always potentially opening a can of worms and you always want to try to go to the fewest pathways you want to possibly get to that exit point. But so many things can happen on that way, especially as you said, as new enemies are implemented, as new magical spells give you new abilities. But of course, they counteract that with changes to the enemies. Yeah, at least I had two sword. You didn't lose it when you fought all those eights. <laughs> yeah, always balance. You took a lot of damage, but at least you didn't lose your sword. <laughs> Because you don't want to face those enemies barehanded. That's devastating. No, no, that's the worst. Especially there's these other enemies that when they come up, they'll chew up all of the enemies around them and absorb their amount of attack. And it gets insane. I had a 69-powered guy, which is absolutely insane. But fortunately, I was able to use a spell and get rid of him. And it's these things like I made it through one of these dungeons that was four levels deep. I came out at the end with one health left and I survived, made it to the end. And you feel this insane victory. And it's so good. Other times you feel like luck's against you. I mean, there is a little bit of luck. There's ways to mitigate some of it. But there is some luck in just how cards are going to come up. And sometimes it's just like any kind of solitaire game where you're just not going to be able to win. Like, no matter what you do, unless you went in there with pockets full of special abilities and things that you purchase with coins, then you really don't have a shot. It it, it was just against you. But you know what? You go back, you try again, and maybe cards will kind of fall for you a little bit better the second time around. Or maybe you just, if you made one different choice, you wouldn't have gotten in the situation. So it's just, it definitely feels like there's a luck element, but it doesn't feel like it's all luck. There's definitely a lot of strategy and ways to mitigate the luck. And also, just shout out to Card Crawl. Like, the core mechanics of Card of Darkness are based on Card Crawl. If you've ever played Card Crawl, it's going to be instantly recognizable as you pick up shields and weapons and health potions and battle specific enemies and always balance how much health you have versus taking out enemies. But to build that out into a complete adventure with a world map and dungeon crawling ideas is absolutely brilliant. There's so much more strategy with the matching up the weapons to enemies and introducing different weapon types like card crawl i loved it but it's tough to go back to extensively just because it's pretty much the same deck like you unlock a new deck but then it's still the same of that new deck every time this time as soon as you go into a new dungeon it's a completely different challenge oh right yeah yeah I, and oh, we, i should we should also mention the artwork and this is it's fun and cute and you're the the little dude that is your guy he's got this frying pan on his head like a hat and then he loses his head when he dies I, it's just uh it's it's so much fun like it's uh it's i don't know i this is just this is the first game I played uh, on Apple Arcade. Well, actually, I played What the Golf first because I knew that one. And then this was the second one I played. And I have been playing so much of it that I keep going back to it. And this is what I love about Apple Arcade. I don't feel rushed. I don't feel like I got to fly through this thing. There's no in-app purchases that make me kind of force me away from this game. I can take my time. All the currency that you're earning within the game to buy upgrades and stuff is within the game. It's not like you go and buy coins and things are locked away from you because you didn't spend money. 
no, you you're in on Apple Arcade, you get the game, you play the game and you just do it in your own time. And there's nothing that people that you're going to be forced to spend additional money on. And then not only that, these games are super accessible, but there's so much depth to them. I mean, honestly, in Card of Darkness, you tap on card stacks. That's all you have to do. There's no challenge whatsoever in terms of user interface. It's 100% accessible, and then you can just get lost in the puzzle and strategy elements. What the golf, you drag your finger back, and you release it to do various shots, and you're bombarded with crazy contraptions and setups as you go through this extensive world of golf ideas. So you have these super accessible games that anyone can play, and you just build. It's amazing that Apple is able to work with like the best iOS developers to not just make these quick, forgettable games. Yeah, exactly. And well, one thing we should bring up is with Apple Arcade, you you can play it on a Mac, a iOS device, or your Apple TV. These games, I don't know how well they translate. Like they're really what the golf and and card of darkness they're both really touch-based games like yeah. these mm-hmm. feel like they could have been made for ios outside of the tv outside of apple arcade or any of this i tried what the golf tonight on the apple tv with a xbox controller and it was annoying to control compared to you just using my finger and touching especially just getting the power level right for my shots aiming was okay but power level was way off and this I don't even can't even imagine like flicking between all the cards. It just seems so natural to just go and touch the card you want and immediately trigger it. And so and one of the nice thing is all these different enemies, they all have different uh, characteristics and things. You just touch and hold on the card and it brings up the description of exactly what this enemy does. So you can tell play, say you hadn't played in a day or some new enemy shows up. It just tells you immediately what what they do in that way there's no question you don't have to go to like a guide that tells you what all these cards are no you just hold your finger down and all the information is right there at your fingertips i don't know that i'd want to play this with a joystick on the apple tv it just really feels like a touch based in my pocket or on my ipad type game but it, i guess it's nice if that's all you have is the apple tv well and the apple Arcade games. gives you the platform choice yeah, there's yeah, certain so games that, are gonna, that you want to play up on the Apple TV, and we'll probably talk about those in coming weeks. Yep, yep. And so, Card of Darkness, guess what? It's just part of Apple Arcade. <laughs> <laughs> I'm noticing and a trend here. I, I am. There's <laughs> Mini Motorways, which hopefully you've somehow, someway heard of Mini Metro. It was my pick for Game of the Year in 2016, 2017, whatever year. And it was absolutely phenomenal as you have this whole top down real-time strategy idea where you control a metro line. You decide you have to make sure everybody reaches their proper stops in the quickest route, so it's always a time trains are moving, all that kind of good stuff. And so Mini Motorways takes that idea and makes it that much more challenging because now you have to control traffic. And if you've ever seen traffic patterns and people who can't drive, you know that moving (laughs) cars around is much tougher than moving rail lines around. And so that's where you have the crux of mini motorways. It's the same top-down real-time strategy idea. And in this game, again, it's super accessible. All you do is tap on the screen to enter edit mode, and you drag your finger to connect, to draw the road, essentially, how you want it to in this grid-based format. And then you can delete tracks if you, or roads if you don't like it in the right place. And the main idea is that you want to connect residential buildings to office buildings. And as you go, new colors are introduced. So Yellow house goes to yellow workplace. Red house goes to red workplace. Blue house goes to blue workplace. And then as you start building out these roads, they're going to overlap with one another. And now traffic starts to get congested. Yellow and red are on the same road getting to the same place. But some people are going out, some people are going in and things bog down. And now traffic isn't flowing as well. And so it takes longer because every single office always need it has a continuous counter that it needs people there you know working and if you let it go too long without somebody working there you're going to eventually lose the game so you want to make sure not only are the roads connected but the traffic is flowing so as you go you'll be able to get traffic lights and then you'll be able to get bridges to cross waterways and then you'll even get freeways so you can connect long distances across the maps because 
you don't know how any of these uh, cities are going to populate. At the very beginning, you have one house and one office building. And then just as the game develops, they'll start to populate in random locations and you just have to deal with it. So that great road structure that you built, it might go haywire based on, oh, now we have a gray building out in the middle of nowhere and your gray residential is on the opposite side of the map. And you have to connect them. But of course, that's going to increase traffic and you have a limited number of road tiles you can build. There's just so many real-time strategy decisions you have to make as this map develops. And the best part probably is that every single map is based on real-world locations. So you have Los Angeles and Tokyo and Beijing and Moscow, and it just has this whole real-world feel to building out these uh, mini motorways. Yeah, and one of the things is as you're starting to build this out, you might have a road there, and all of a sudden a house just pops onto your road. It could be far away from the road, or it could pop onto the road right in the spot where you're planning on building something else. And so you constantly have to try to figure things out. And I'm still trying to figure out exactly when you end up with some of these buildings, how to tell. I mean, you see this countdown, and if you do not get traffic there, like cars there to work, the that building is going to get, uh, that countdown is going to happen, and then all of a sudden you're going to lose the game. And I still haven't quite figured out how to tell because I see a steady amount of cars going in, but it apparently is not enough cars. But you're constantly trying to figure out ways to improve that traffic. To me, I thought that part was a little unclear as to it being able to immediately tell that something was going too slow until it was almost too late, where you all of a sudden have that countdown. And at that point, I didn't know how to fix it or even to tell that I was fixing it other than maybe the countdown would stop. But uh, otherwise, yeah, it's like constant strategy. You're trying to figure out at the end of each work week, you try to you're given more road tiles. You might be given an extra bridge piece and then you're given usually a choice of do you want more road tiles like maybe they'll give you 20 more road tiles do you want a bridge do you want a traffic light do you want um, a freeway and you have to make that decision they give you like one of two choices and based on how you've designed your your city out so far you've got to make the right decision otherwise you are going to run out of uh time like things are going to congest up on you and you're just going to completely run out of time there is uh, a few achievements, game center achievements, where the on each of the cities you're trying to get at least 250 uh, cars into these businesses over time, and I've only done it on uh, on LA. I did it really, and it was 251. I barely I made it. I do a default thing. by instinct, and <laughs> and so I barely made it on, on one, and that was after <laughs> multiple attempts. I just I just don't understand traffic pattern. What was this that? is just my game jam because you know <coughs> it calls back to the ideas of flight control and harbor master and thirty third division. Those are my games. Oh, I those know. I love top those down path drawing games, man. Yeah, this reminds me so much of it. Except here, you are have such limited resources. You have to plan or deal with whatever consequences uh, have been dealt you just ran- by random chance. Uh, obviously in like flight control and all those, you had unlimited, uh, resource. You never really had a a limit to what you could do. It's just more of a keeping track of so many things on the screen all at once where this one, it's more of a trying to figure out the, the, the pathways and patterns in order to not cause congestion. And that's one part that I still haven't mastered. Like I usually conk out somewhere between 250 to 350 like i'll just get that achievement and there's already one of those red countdown timers on one of the buildings and you're like this doesn't bode well because like you said it's not always obvious to how to remedy that like say you've put all your roads to that spot for it's a yellow office building all the yellow houses are right to that spot and it doesn't impact the little countdown timer at all so Right, I haven't yeah, there's fully no first that either. Yeah, I haven't figured it because that's the exact situation I'm talking about. Like, I have all the houses of that color, they all have a direct line to that building. It's just not enough of them are coming out, I guess, in order to, to go to that building. But there's nothing seemingly that I can do to fix that. And I, I, I don't know how, how to remedy that. I guess I. Well, maybe... one fun thing with the game is that it also 
isn't always clear what houses are going to what buildings. Like, I guess just like real people, this one red house is literally next door to the office building and the red office building. And then there's a red office building across the map. And of course, they're going to the one across the bat, not right next door. Like, I literally broke <laughs> off the roads so there was no way to get to the far one. And the cars just don't leave the house. They're like, no, we work at that one over there. And that's just a fun extra challenge they added to the game. You don't know which houses are going to which office buildings, even if the colors match. Yeah, so for now on, I'm just telling all my workers to work from home, and then I'll never lose. They can all work from home, and then I'll just win the game. I haven't been able to integrate the traffic lights properly. It seems to just bog things down crazily in my whole... Yeah, it seemed to get worse. Thing just dies, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if they have, like... Uh, some kind of a strategies guide or something. I I don't know. I need to figure this out. It seems like I'm missing something. I'm I'm really enjoying it. I loved Mini Metro, Mini Metro, and I love this. It's just I feel like I'm missing a piece to understanding the strategy involved. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely see that as well. But it just for some reason I keep coming back to this game. I I just love the whole real time strategy idea. I love the layers of it. I love all the different maps and the designs of it, where there's three different colors. Essentially, there's a light mode, a dark mode, and then a color matching mode. Like in Moscow, it's red to go with the red accents of the mountains, or in Beijing, it's green to go with these various park ideas, and then in Tokyo, it's blue to match the water. Really great minimalistic art design. Yeah, yeah, no, I I love how they give you the grid, because you have such limited number of those road tiles when you tap into the edit mode it all you get this grid pattern on there so you could tell exactly how many of these tiles you're going to be using you can delete them at any time and reuse them but it's good to know as you're kind of planning things out because you still need to kind of go fast because you never know if another building is going to pop up in the middle of what you're trying to draw out see you kind of have to work quickly uh to avoid something getting messed up One of my favorite office buildings dropped right in the middle of these other ones, so there was no way to put a road into there. The only way I could do it was to build a freeway that drops off right at that building. So I had to waste, like those freeways are hard to come by, and I had to waste one on just getting the light blue houses to the light blue (laughs) office building because there was no road I could build in. Well, yeah, especially because most of these office buildings only have one entrance and exit. They don't have yep. the two of them. So it's tough. Like, if you don't if build If I was the a right city path, planner, I'd make sure that most of these office buildings had two different entrances. Yes. Exits. That way they can leave <laughs> on one side and come in on the other. And yeah, you really, I need like a, a big hammer to knock out <laughs> the walls to make another entrance. I do have fun just watching the car sometime where it's really bottlenecking up and you see it's like somebody's trying to leave their driveway and everybody else is just trying to get to work and it just slows down everything. It's like this whole chain reaction and all these little cars that look like ants on their little paths are just stopped and you're like, oh, wow, that office building is not going to get much work done today. That hits too close to home. <laughs> it's really <tough. laughs> If you see the person and there's probably someone there sitting on their cell phone and that's what's causing the whole backup. They're probably playing card. Uh, yeah, they're playing mini motorways. They're, with their phone. <laughs> card of darkness on their phone with slowing everything down or mini motorways. Yeah. That's like some whole Inception level stuff where somebody's sitting <laughs> in their car playing mini motorways and then you're controlling where their flow pattern is. <laughs> And then to round out our Apple Arcade Spotlight this week is Jenny LeClue, Detective View. I don't know why they added Detective View at the end, but we can just call it Jenny LeClue the rest of the time. And this is really, I want to call it a point-and-click adventure game, but this is more just a interactive novel. I mean, honestly, there is a lot of text and there's an ornate storyline. This is one of the most deluxe storylines I've come across in any mobile game where there's actually two simultaneous storylines that kind of overlap. So the game begins on the author of Jenny LeClue, and he's had 38 books in the Jenny LeClue series, and they all have this kind of not meaty cases. Like, they're fun, like, friendly ideas. There's no murders or big crimes or anything. It's like finding glasses for your neighbor or helping the lost dog. You know, little kind of kid sleuth type of ideas. Like the whole Nancy Drew idea, but even more rudimentary, more like a 10-year-old, 12-year-old kind of idea. And so his publisher is like, you know what? We need a meteor book. You can see readership is down as we go through this Jenny LeClue story. We need like a murder. We need something big. He's like, oh, I can't do that. 
And then finally he caves and he's like, okay, we're changing the story. You want murder? We're going to get murder. And then, of course, you have the actual Jenny LeClue story in her whole narrative. And it's so detailed of the character development, the interactions between her best friend, the rich snobby girl at her school, her mom, the dean of the school, and all these different intricacies of characters mapped out. And it has this kind of Layden Brothers vibe, but less on those more like simple puzzles, just in the interacting with you have to go through the environment and find clues. And then once you find clues, you have to pick specific ones to connect together to solve cases and actually deduce what is going on. And it just builds so intricately this narrative. I mean, there's going to be a lot. Of, if you're not a big fan of reading, this probably isn't the game for you. Just keep that in mind because there's a lot of text to go through, but it's really well written text. I mean, when I say it's like an interactive novel, this is book type of ideas <laughs> fleshed out with a whole interactive animated visual design to bring these characters to life. Yeah, this is a game that I've been waiting years for. So I remember this was kickstarted, I think, almost five years ago, and it's taken them forever to get this out. And finally, it, it's arrived. And so I saw a demo of it way back at PAX East like a few years ago. So I thought it was on the way, and then it just delayed uh, for various reasons. A small team uh, putting this together. But you're right. Like, the storyline is amazing. I love that dual storyline that they have like layers i'm just i haven't quite finished it so i haven't peeled back to the original story yet so i'm curious to see but i'm guessing the reason they went with all of the text because uh normally in these type of games you have a lot of voice work like mm -hmm. voice people doing the voices for the characters and it's all acted out and i'm guessing the text obviously beyond just being less expensive it allows them to translate this into all kinds of different languages much more easily than they would if they recorded voices doing uh, all of the thing. I really wish it was recorded dialogue, but I understand why. And the writing is so good that I really don't. And it's chunked that you really don't yeah, mind. Reading it's not it. like a big, huge block of text you have to get through. It's like right. one sentence at a time. And and so the the one thing the problem I have with the game is just the interface that yep. you do. So. <laughs> It feels like because originally it was, I think, a PC game that they were going to put it out on or and then consoles. And it's really it should be just touch based. But instead, you drag around a curse. Well, you drag on the screen to move Jenny back and forth and around. But then you drag for like while you're searching for clues and things, you're actually like dragging a cursor around on the screen and then tapping in order to interact with that item, which you might do that for if you were like in a point click adventure game trying to find the touch spots, but it really feels awkward on a touch screen to be doing this. And then it gets only compounded by the situations where not only do you then first have to drag out like a magnifying glass to search for things, which feels natural to be dragging a magnifying glass around with your finger, but then you use the magnifying glass and it finds a dot on the screen that then you now have to drag your cursor to point to that dot to interact with that dot rather than just immediately interacting with this thing you just found. So it feels a little awkward. And that just felt kludgy to me rather than just having a solid, straight touch interface, especially on an iOS device. But I understand it's probably because they're trying to port this to so many different platforms that touch didn't really work. and. I think it's a smaller team, so they probably didn't have the resources to really develop both uh, both styles completely. So that was the one real complaint I had. But otherwise, the story is fun. The, the animations are great. I mean, just the whole character. I love the character. And you have these points during the story where you'll make decisions uh, and you wonder either when will progress the story, but it kind of make gives Jenny you're the certain personality that you've kind of chosen for her based on those choices and all that stuff gets written to like this in-game journal that you can go back and view to kind of see how your choices affected the personality you gave Jenny uh but uh it's it's a fun game it's more that interface that kind of just annoyed me yeah i was going to say the same exact thing of just it's a lot of replicated tapping and 
Oh, I tap to interact and then tap to hold. And then it seems like I always have to tap twice to initiate the tap to hold initiative. And then when you need to drag back and forth and actually kind of go vertically on a ladder or climb over a pile of boxes or debris, it doesn't always activate properly. It's just a little hindrances here and there that you notice. You know, it's not like preventing you from playing the game. It's just, oh, that's annoying or that's annoying here. And the story's so amazing. I'm putting up with it, but I wish you didn't have to put up with anything and could fully interact with this amazing story they've developed. Right. It just takes you out of out of it for because now mm-hmm. you're like dealing with an interface, like even just closing the, the magnifying glass when you're done with it. You now have to go down to this little toolbar at the bottom to close it. Yeah, you can't just tap anywhere else. Just on the tap anywhere else on yeah. the screen. Yeah, it I don't it's just little things that hopefully it's stuff that could be fixed with updates but i i don't know I, it might be a lot more complicated well, than i again than all of these games as part of apple arcade are going to get the usual ios update treatment so that's definitely cool too yeah so even if this isn't one that you're playing maybe you haven't even played this one you're stuck in some longer game right now you might come back to this in a while if you're a subscriber and this may be all changed like none of this none of these complaints may even even be there anymore so that's the beauty of it. Yes, they get updated. I've already had a ton of these games get updated on me. And so uh, you will get constant updates. They're getting money from subscribers. So we still don't know how, they're get, how the developers are getting paid. But somehow there's incentive there to keep up with the updates on these games because there'll be a constant l- bunch of subscribers coming in and playing and, and paying uh, for the service. Yep. So that's Jenny LeClue. If you want story... There's really no better story on iOS. It, it's absolutely amazing. Like you said, the decision points and just to have that whole perspective of Nancy Drew that actually that gets more into the dark idea and you'll see the relationships really kind of expand and become more and more important. You'll just love every part of it because it starts so innocently. And I just love where I mean, there's even a sequence that is like sharp objects. I'm like, damn. <laughs> so this is pretty damn good if you're interested in murder murder mysteries you're gonna be right at home with jenny leclue yep and guess what it's part of apple arcade (laughs) (laughs) and so that's our apple arcade spotlight tune in every week to our podcast we're gonna try to highlight four more there's a bunch of different types of game styles and ways to play and there's just a lot to digest so Take your time with it. There's no real rush. It's five bucks a month. You sign up for the next year, that's 60 bucks. That's really a console game, but you have over 70 games at launch. New games are coming. There's a list of about 20 that we know of that for some reason weren't available at launch. So they're going to have games in the pipeline for a while. Yeah, my only guess is they've said 100 games this year and they said new games come every week. So they must be holding these 20 back so they can finish out the year releasing weekly games. Uh, that's all I can think of. Otherwise, I don't know why everything didn't launch, but it, it's it's curious. Yep, and so that's probably the big part of iOS 13 for us. There's a couple other little things. And I think that's everything for episode 117. Yeah, that's all I got. To everyone listening, be sure to follow us at AppAdvice and at AppAddictNet for updates throughout the week. To everyone listening, we hope you enjoyed it. We'll talk to you next time. Talk to you later.